Have a seat, guys. Kind of excited this morning. Um, one of my favorite, I don't even know what it is, I guess this is a mini-series, uh, called Band of Brothers. Some of you guys have seen it. Some of you guys have, we watched it together as uh, men's ministry a couple years ago. Um, but the, the series is, is ten parts, uh, ten like hour, hour and a half episodes and the first nine are about Easy Company in World War II uh, in Europe, in the war in Europe, D-Day and the Battle of Stone. A lot of really difficult, hard times and difficult, hard weather and, and just engaging difficult things. And so the first nine parts of this are just really hard, dark, difficult life. Um, engaging having to kill another man, engaging... Why do I fight these guys? What do they do to me? And, and, and watching your friends die, watching your friends' souls die, and watching all this just difficult, hard stuff happening. Um, and in the midst of just hard weather, and just, it's just miserable. And then part 10 happens, and the, the, the 10th part is they go into Hitler's eagle's nest, like, his, like his, Hitler's man cave, right? where he just hung out and did whatever he wanted to do, and it was like his retreat. And so they, they take this eagle's nest, and uh, they're there just kind of hanging out, enjoying, drinking Hitler's liquor. And uh, then the, the lead character in, in the, whole, the whole thing comes and says uh, to, the, to all the men in the Easy Company, the war is over. Not just here, but in Japan as well. The war is over. We're done. And so they just get together and play baseball, all these guys, and they're talking about their lives and what happens afterwards, and, and there's just this sense of exhale and relief and release because they remember their friends dying. They remember their friends' minds going crazy at the death that they encounter. They, they remember all this hard, difficult times, and now it's in the past. They get to exhale, and it's just a a joyous episode. The, the, the last half of it is just simple pleasure and joy. That's what we get to experience today. Ecclesiastes has been really miserable, dark. Everything is meaningless. There is hardship everywhere. But today, the light turns on. Our leader comes to us and says, the war is over. There is brightness ahead. You get to go home. Turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 8, and let's dig in. We've got a lot of work to do this morning. We have two chapters to get through, uh, but I, I implore you, can I have your eyes and your attention? I implore you to stay with me, because God is, God is painting, God is crafting this beautiful story from the beginning of time till today, God is crafting this beautiful story. But in particular, in Ecclesiastes 8 and 9, he is, he is painting, crafting, telling a story that ends with this big, giant smile. I promise it's coming, and it's beautiful. So stay with me, and let's go quickly through Ecclesiastes 8 and 9, because I, I just, I just want to get to the end, because it's great. Uh, let's pray before we do. God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your gospel. I thank you for your truth. 
Thank you for Jesus. God, I pray now that you would guide our minds and guide our spirits and our souls and our attention and our affection this morning. Um, Capture all of those things, Father. Fix our gaze upon you, God. We are grateful, so grateful for the season of life where we give thanks to you as we did on Thursday, God. And now this morning, I pray that you would engage our hearts with more to be thankful of. Engage our hearts with your gospel this morning. In Christ's name, amen. So, uh, so let's dig in here, and, and we're going to just walk through these things real quick and, and comment on a few of these things and then get to the end, uh, which is beautiful. Chapter 8, verse 1. Who is like the wise, and who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. We've, we've said throughout the course of this series, that it's talking about is Solomon writing this, and he's the wisest man to ever live, aside from Jesus, and we've talked about that. We've talked about what wisdom means, and the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, and, and all those things. But ultimately, I, I want to make sure as we begin this morning that we don't think that wisdom is simply faced with two choices. There's a correct choice and there's an incorrect choice. There's a, there's a wise choice and there's a foolish choice. That, that isn't, that does not encapsulate wisdom. There is more to wisdom. If you've walked with us through this, this study on Ecclesiastes, what, it, what wisdom actually is, it really is pressing into God and, and knowing who he is. Whether or not to to date this guy or that guy or to get married or not get married or the job to take or the school to choose or whatever. Those are, those are all decisions where wisdom can play in. But the heart of wisdom, the core of wisdom, is understanding, relating properly to God and having God relate properly to you, properly to you and understanding who you are. A, a proper relationship and pressing in, knowing him, having him know you and coming to grips with all those things and, and why we're here and all those sort of things is where wisdom begins and proceeds forth from that. So wisdom is that, is that seed in the good soil that begins to sprout up beautiful things. All right? And what it does, when we have pressed into God and we're properly related to God, our faces shine. The hardness of our faces changed. Verse 2. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go into his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. In other words, the powers that be on this earth are going to do what they want. So don't sweat it. For the word of the king is supreme. Talking about an, an earthly king in this age. The, wor- the word of the king is supreme. Whatever he wants to do, he's going to do. And this is written by Solomon, a king, who's going to do whatever he wants to do. Verse 5. Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing. And the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. Some of this stuff is kind of confusing, but I want to stop for this verse in particular for just a second. All right? Let's go back and read it again. Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing. And the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. 
This doesn't say that if you keep the commands of the king, if you keep the commands of God, then no evil is ever going to happen to you. What this is speaking to us, what this, and I need you to hear this. This is huge for us. When we engage wisdom, this proper relationship to God, this pressing into him, evil can't touch you. It doesn't mean evil's not going to be present in your life, but it can't touch you. Do you see the difference there? And there is, we'll, we'll see it more here, and we've seen it throughout the course of this, and that's why we, the whole band of brothers thing, you, you see your friend with his arm off because he just got shot, or you see your, your friend completely lose his mind because he's had to, to kill other men, and you've seen the hardship of life. But when we are properly related to God, we are pressing into whom he is, who he is, that cannot touch us, it cannot change us. There's security and hope in wisdom. Verse 6. For there is a time and a way for everything, although a man's trouble lies heavy on him. Although a man's trouble lies heavy on him. There is sin that's very present in my life that I'm aware of every day, many times a day. The same two or three things. And there's the sin that's probably pressing in on you guys. It's just, it, it shows up, crops up every day. And even for me, it makes me, makes me doubt my sanctification process. It makes me doubt those things. God, Dave quoted Piper last week. What is, the, what is the, the, the thing that makes you doubt God the most? John Piper says, the slowness of my own sanctification. Why aren't I more like you today than I was yesterday? Why do I still struggle with the same stuff? The the struggles of a man lie heavy on him. And not just sin, but just the, the presence of darkness and evil on this earth lies heavy. I'm really wrestling with my son. There's just anger in his life and anger in his heart. And, and I want to I wanna do all that I can to, to take that from him. And I say to him all the time, don't let your circumstances dictate your, your behavior. But let him get frustrated or angry at, at his sisters. And that dictates how I'm going to behave towards him. And that lies heavy on me. And the, the stresses and the difficulty of, of leading this church lies heavy on me. The stresses and difficulty of, of leading my family lies heavy on me. For there is a time and a way for everything. Although a man's trouble lies heavy on him, look at that word, although, which means pay attention because there's goodness coming. Although a man's trouble lies heavy on him, for he does not know what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? I don't know what's coming. I don't know what the future is for my family. I don't know what the future is for my son. I don't know what the future is for this church. I don't know what the future is for for Rick. Look at the hope in verse 8. No man has the power to retain the spirit or the power over the day of death. This has happened before in Ecclesiastes. We're all going to die. There's no discharge from war. 
You're never going to get out of this war. You're never going to be out of it. You're never going to have the moment where your leader comes to you and says, it's over. You can breathe until we, we do breathe our last and we encounter God in heaven. Nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All this I have observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun when man had no power, when man had power over man to his hurt. Verse 10. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This is also vanity. In other words, I watched wicked people get praised for their wickedness. That's hard to, hard to see, hard to watch happen. When you see evil, wicked people getting praise for evil, wicked things. This is vanity. This is meaningless. Verse 11. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily. Because of that, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. There's evil all around us. Everywhere. Let's read that verse again. It's, it's great. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily. The heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. How many times have you said or thought, that's just not fair? The sentence against an evil deed it's not always executed. We, never, we don't always see the sentence against an evil deed. Verse 12. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I will know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before Him. But it will not be well with the wicked Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. Fair is not our priority. It's not our concern. The, the speed of which God executes the sentence on the evil and on the righteous is not of our concern. Flip over a couple of books to Psalm 37. I'll read the first four verses of Psalm 37. This is one of my favorite psalms. And this week I was reminded of the first two verses in Psalm 37. And then verse 3, I really saw for the first time this week. Psalm 37, starting in verse 1. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. This is, is what Ecclesiastes was just talking about. Be not envious of wrongdoers. Don't want to take their place. For... They will soon fade like the grass and wither like the herb. This is giving us motivation, desire to press into this idea of, of don't, don't sweat the evil that's happening in this world. But then verse 3. Trust in the Lord. And this is another understanding. This is wisdom right here. Understanding how we relate to God and how God relates to us in this the relationship that we have, just truly understanding what it is. And, and when we truly understand what it is, trust is a byproduct of that. 
I trust you, God, that there's, though there's evil in my life, you have a plan and a purpose and a design that you're shaping me to be more like you, to enjoy you more, to be more connected to who you are. Trusting him is, is, a, is at the heart of wisdom. Trusting him is at the heart of understanding how you relate to him. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Three things specifically tells us to do there. Trusting in the Lord, doing good, and then just dwelling in the land. Just dwelling in the land. Just being. We stress, we worry, we labor about the things that, that God has given us to, to labor with or, or this earth has given us to labor with. We, we wrestle with these things. What's going to happen with, with my kids? What's going to happen with my church? What's going to happen with my job? What's going to happen with all of these things? And it, the, the, the stress of a man lies heavy on him. The antidote to that, the, the thing that God is saying to us is, trust me, just do good and, and be but then the, the last part is what I found this week. Befriend faithfulness. The New American Standard Version says cultivate faithfulness. This is what it looks like to cultivate faithfulness, to befriend faithfulness, to have Travis and Megan came home. I haven't seen them in, in months. They're great friends of mine. And they walked, we saw them for the first time Thanksgiving night, and the hugs we got were just beautiful because now my friends were next to me again and and there has been richness in our relationship that has been cultivated to to cultivate and befriend that and so that we can enjoy that and here the response to how we we act in this world to how we engage the evil in this world and how we deal with it how we deal with the stresses and pressures in our life is to cultivate faithfulness to befriend faithfulness, to, to have this deep burning desire to be more faithful tomorrow than we were today. This is the antidote to living in this evil world. Cultivate faithfulness. Faithfulness isn't just, faithfulness is, is trust and surrender to who he is. I surrender to you, God, and I trust you, God, and I want you to cultivate that in my life and in my heart and in my circumstances. Verse 4 of Psalm 37. Very familiar verse. Delight yourself in the Lord. And there's that hint of wisdom. Understanding how we relate to God and how God relates to us brings us to a place where we delight in Him. Do you see that? Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you desires for your heart. This is wisdom. This is what this is about. God is pressing us into this place because he wants to give us desires. He doesn't want to give us what we want. He wants to give us desires. Go back to Ecclesiastes. We're almost there to the really good part. Verse 14. <clears throat> there is a vanity that takes place on earth there is, and there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. And there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. In other words, stuff that happens to good people is bad. And stuff that happens to bad people is good. And it doesn't make sense to us. Because it's vanity. It's meaningless. 
Verse 15. And I commend joy, for man has no good thing under the sun but to eat, drink, and be joyful. Hey, that's the time when you get to smile. There's nothing. Here, what, what Solomon via God, or what God said to you via Solomon is just eat and drink and be happy with people. Enjoy your life. Is that beautiful? I mean, I want to dance. Stop laughing at me. <laughs> and I commend joy, for man has no good thing under the sun but to eat, drink, and be joyful. For this will go with him in his toil. Through the days of his life, God has given him under the sun. When I applied my heart to know wisdom, to press into God, to understand how I relate to him and how he relates to me, and to see the business that is done on the earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes sleep. Then I saw the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find out. In other words, Solomon has spent a lifetime trying to pin God down and define him. And we wrestle with that, and that's a good thing to wrestle with. But there comes a time in our wrestling and trying to pin God down where we just say, I'm going to enjoy what you've given to me. And I'm not going to fret over what you haven't given to me. I'm not going to fret over what evil people have taken from me. Just enjoy you. Thank you. It's a message of the gospel to your heart today. One more chapter to go. I promise the really good part's coming. Verse 1 of chapter 9. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. We have the capacity in us to both love and hate, to do good and to, to do evil. Verse 2, it is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, the good and the evil, the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and to him who does not sacrifice. In other words, everything that's happening in this world happens to the good and the evil, the righteous and the unrighteous, and all those Good happens to the good and bad happens to the bad. And bad happens to the good and bad happens to the bad. Something. There's good and bad everywhere. Verse 3. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun. That the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of children of man are full of evil. And madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. Whenever you see dog in Scripture, it's bad. Whenever you see lion in Scripture, it's good. 
Dogs were dirty, filthy, nasty creatures. They weren't pets. They were scavengers who carried disease and walked along the sides of the road, and it was just, they were nasty. The lions were, were strong, leaders, powerful. Better is a living dog than a dead lion. Nice little pithy proverb from Solomon. Verse 5. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. And they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Courage here. When we engage, when we encounter evil, when we encounter badness, when we encounter awful, wretched stuff or awful, wretched people, better is a living dog than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead don't know they're dying. Verse 6, their love and their hate and their envy have already perished. And forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Here comes some more really cool stuff. Verse 7. I hope that you smile when you read this. Go, eat your bread in joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Nothing there about meaninglessness, nothing there about darkness, nothing there about this life sucks that Solomon has spent all these chapters telling us. Instead, Go, eat your bread in joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. And here's the one that makes me want to hug my wife. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love. All the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is the portion in your life and in your toil with which you toil under the sun. Your portion in your life, in the hardship of this earth, the evil that's present, the good that's present, all the stuff that's, that's hard and the darkness that he's talked about. God has provided a portion for you to know him. God has provided a portion for you to just be content and happy in your soul. Breathe it in. And this is great that we're right here in the middle of what we just did on, on Thursday and what we're going to engage and encounter through the month of December. Enjoy the pleasures that God has given to you. Enjoy the wife of your youth. Yes. Almost there. Verse 11. Again, I saw that under the sun... The race is not to the swift. Doesn't make any sense. The race is not for the swift. Nor the battle to the strong. Nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge. Do you see the, the irony? God is just flipping us upside down. 
but time and chance happen to them all. And evil and evil stuff is going to happen to everybody. Verse 12, for a man does not know his time like fish that are taken in an evil net, like birds that are caught in a snare, so that the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. Now here comes a good part. There's been some good parts. Here comes a really good part. Verse 13. I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. feel like a little boy. This is great. Verse 14. There was a little city with a few men in it. Picture that. A little city with a few men in it. And a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. Let me explain what a siege is when you besiege a city, when siege works are built. Here's what happens. A little city. A wall is built around the city. Great siege works a wall is built around the city. Huge, insurmountable walls around the city. Nothing gets in, nothing gets out. And the design of a siege to besiege a city is to allow nothing to get in. No medical supplies, no food supplies, nothing. To starve your enemy so that when you go to kill them, he can't fight you back. Make sense? Do you follow what, what a siege is? That's what's happening. If you trap someone in their home and don't allow them. they're going to eat the food that's there but the refrigerator and the cupboard is eventually going to be bare and then they're going to starve and then when they begin to starve and go crazy and and just can't cope you go in and you kill them that's this plan of this king there was a little city with few men in it and a great king came against it and besieged it building great siege works against it. In other words, there was an enemy to this little bitty, tiny town. But there was found in it a poor, wise man. And he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Anybody thinking about Jesus here? Am I thinking about Bethlehem, tiny little city? Jesus born in poverty? Am I thinking about the evil that besieges us? Do you realize that Satan is a real and present enemy and his desire is to choke you out, to starve you, to starve you so that he can come in and kill you? This is the gospel. A thousand years before Jesus was even born, we're reading about him. But there was found in it a poor, wise man. And he, by his wisdom, by his proper relationship, connection with a holy God, delivered the city. Big smile on my face. But look, the, look at the next sentence. Yet no one remembered that poor man. Here's a question I ask my heart when I engage my sin 
this week. How many times does Jesus have to deliver me? How many times do I have to encounter God's grace? How many times do I need to be forgiven of the same stinking sin? Before I remember that I'm in this city being besieged by my enemy and this poor wise man rises up and delivers me. Period. Yet no one remembered this man. How many times? I've had the same conversation with my son on his bed. You're disrespecting me. Don't you love me? I, I wish that you would. Cooper, do you see what you're doing to me? And then God is whispering to me, and I, I grow really good at ignoring him. Rick, do you see what you're doing to me? Do you not know that I love you? Do you not know that I want the best for you? Do not trust me. My prayer for me and for you this morning is that we would encounter that wise man from that tiny city who delivered us from our being besieged and we would remember him. But I say that wisdom is better than might. Though the poor man's wisdom is despised, you'll probably hear this season that Jesus was despised and rejected by men. Isaiah 53. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. The wise words, the words of the wise heard and quiet are better than a shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than a weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Go back and look at verse 17 again. The words of the wise heard and quiet are betting better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. That is the, the heart of Ecclesiastes. There is evil that is present in this world and it's making really loud noises, vying for your attention and for your affection. But there's a simple voice of a simple man from a simple city saying, enjoy what I've given to you. Relax. Breathe. Trust. The gospel. Let's pray and engage him. God, you are beautiful. You're glorious. You're great. You are faithful. Oh, you are faithful. Ever faithful. Even in the midst of my sin, you remain 
God, I pray for the, the explosive nature of the truth of your gospel to affect us and change us. Lord, this world, this enemy, this besieging that's happening to us, seeking to choke us out, is really loud. God, I pray that you would incline our hearts and our minds and our spirits, whatever, to listen to the still, small voice and hear you speaking to us. Lord, I thank you for Jesus. Oh, how I thank you for Jesus. Now be with us, God, as we engage your truth. Engage you. Make us wise. In Christ's perfect name.